This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. While our team of tax pros are well-versed in all things tax, our areas of expertise include rental real estate and equity compensation. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. At Capital Area Tax Consultants, we believe in pricing transparency and flat fees. Before engaging with us, you'll receive an upfront quote in black and white with a description of any services to be performed. This way, there are no hidden surprises. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com. Welcome to the Tech Money Podcast, where the worlds of technology and personal finance collide. Hosted by certified financial planner, speaker, blogger, and self-proclaimed personal finance nerd, Malcolm Etheridge. Each episode aims to make you just a little bit smarter about your money, all from the perspective of the tech professional. Without further delay, here's your host. Hey there, listeners. Malcolm here. And on today's show, we're talking about 401ks. More specifically, we're talking about 401k loans and premature distributions. I recently wrote a blog post titled Your 401k is not a piggy bank. And some of you may have noticed already, I received quite a bit of feedback about this one in particular, almost as much as I received on the one I wrote about life insurance last year. And so that feedback prompted my producer, Eric, to say we needed to jump into the studio ASAP and I need to explain myself. I honestly think he may have had some critiques he wanted to lay out for me as well, but we'll see. So on today's episode, that's what we're going to be doing, digging into the wonderful world of 401k plans and discussing the dangers of plan loans and early distributions. So with that ominous introduction, Eric with an A, why don't we get started? All right. Well, you know, for for the older listeners out there, you know who Ricky Ricardo is and Malcolm, you got some explaining to do because <laughs> this is, uh, yeah, you, you, you hit a little bit of a nerve here with a few people. And uh, I mean, I don't mind you doing that. I mean, it, I think it's fun and it gives us something to talk about. But yeah, uh, when it comes to this blog, one thing that I noticed, the first thing right off the bat is that you, you, you told me that you wrote this in one afternoon and knowing you, that's definitely not normal for you, right? That's true. I uh, I normally like to take my time, outline my thoughts, do some research so I can include a few, you know, concrete facts here and there, let it breathe and then come back to it and walk past it and look at it a couple more times. And over the course of, I don't know, a week or two, I'll turn out a completed work. Right. But on this one in particular, I need all those revisions. I knew exactly what I was wanting to get across. And my the biggest amount of time I spent was probably on grammar because you May or may not know this about me, but I am the king of run-on sentences, so I needed time for that. All right. Well, I did not know that, so the, <laughs> the king is in the room. Uh, but it leads me to my next question, really. Um, mm-hmm. It's not easy, right? It's not easy writing blogs. It's not easy. Like you said, you take a lot of time to do your research. You take a lot of time to do, uh, you know, put together exactly what you want to say. And this is what you produced, and you have ruffled feathers. So the question is, why would you ruffle feathers in the way you did? Um, by trade, you're in the people-pleasing business, not sure. the alienating people business. And that's kind of what you're doing right now. Well, 
you know, I like to think the reason my clients choose to be my clients or one of the reasons I should say, uh, I hope there's many, but I don't feel the need to say a bunch of nonsense that I don't believe. I think that's a mm -hmm. differentiator between me and a lot of people in the space is that the financial services industry is full of people who are too afraid to have an opinion and actually help guide people because they're afraid of being wrong. Mm -hmm. So I like to think, you know, the reason people come to me in the first place is they want my professional opinion, right? They're almost screaming, tell me what to do. And then, you know, advisors hem and haw around giving a real answer. But I imagine if you went to see an orthopedist, right, about your knee injury, and they told you all three of the ways they could potentially help fix your problem, and then just walked out of the room without telling you what they recommend and how they'd go about solving that problem, you'd be pissed, right? Probably yeah. limp back to your car mumbling all kinds of curse <laughs> words, right? So that's basically, to me, the same type of advice I see often uh, you know, given online when people are looking for some guidance. So yes, I have various strong opinions on things and I also know what I'm talking about. Right. So my opinions are rooted in something. Um, but you know, I also understand that my brand of matter of factness is not going to resonate with everybody. Right. So sure. Some people will be turned off by the title of this episode alone and won't ever actually listen to it. And I guess I should say too, I don't mean to, for this to come off as a lecture, right? I don't mm -hmm. want it to sound like I'm chastising anybody. Let's keep in mind my goal here for doing this podcast is to help close the information gap when it comes to personal finance, right? That's in the show's description online. So I choose to believe that if people knew better, they would do better. And so I'm helping mm -hmm. make sure that people know better going forward. And then there's no excuse not to do better. Yeah. And, and I think you hit it right on the head when you said some people may look at the title, not really listen to anything else. Uh, because I think there's a huge mindset out there that people don't want to be judged, right? Oh, he's yeah. judging me. He's yeah. passing judgment. Well, I know you well enough to know that that's not the case, uh, but uh, it'll be interesting to get into this podcast today. So let's let's get into it. Let's start yeah. at the very, very beginning. Why? I mean, what prompted you to even write this blog in the first place? What happened that made you say, I got to get this on paper? Well, I've just noticed two separate trends recently, I'd say in the last, you know, call it 12 months. I don't know, but they've made me feel a little bit uneasy. And I thought it might help if I said something about it, since I know at least two or three people actually read the stuff that I write, right? One is you and one's my mom. Um, hmm. so I, I know that, you know, there's a handful of people who actually read the stuff I write. And I thought maybe, you know, me saying something about it might help. Yeah, well, it sounds like I'm in good company if I'm in there lumped in with your mom. I appreciate that. <laughs> Shout out to mom. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> All right. All right. So uh, if, if people are just tuning into this and they haven't read it, right, They maybe they haven't even seen the blog yet, um, let, let's get into that because yeah. I, we need to know exactly what you're saying uh, so everybody can be on the same page. So the whole premise, or maybe theme is a better word, I don't know, grammatically, but the whole the whole concept is that your 401k is not meant to be used like a piggy bank to tap into at will. Right. Mm -hmm. So I mentioned there's two separate trends that I'm noticing. And so the first instance I've noticed is people who don't actually need to take a 401 plate 401k plan distribution under the cares act, you know, the option that came out under the cares act in 2020, mm -hmm. um, to help people who are struggling under, uh, COVID related, you know, setbacks. Uh, but they did so anyway. And so just because, you know, they can withdraw without the 10% excise tax penalty, a ton of people I saw online making comments and even some people I got, you know, emails or text messages from wanting to know if it was a good idea. Uh, and I remember saying at the time that Congress added that rule to the overall stimulus package uh, 
it was a mistake. Like I, I just could see it as a mistake, right? Mm-hmm. Americans already don't save enough for retirement as it is. And now you're encouraging them to deplete that savings even more. And then, you know, on the other hand, I guess second, number two, B, whatever I'm supposed to call it, um, I'm seeing lots of people changing jobs right now. For some reason, COVID has created a great time to be to be looking for a job if you're a person in a white collar, you know, work from home type job. Hmm. And then when those people get the new job, they're met with a dilemma where the 401k plan loan they took, you know, a few months earlier is now due. Right. Not a lot of people necessarily know. Mm hmm that the moment you leave that employer, the outstanding loan uh, is due within, depending on the plan, it could be 60 days, it could be 90 days, it could be six months, but within a short period of time, you have two options, either pay back the loan in full, which is likely not an option, right? You took the loan for Mm -hmm. a reason, Mm -hmm. or have the loan converted to a distribution, which means it'll be taxed as ordinary income, and then some, because I mentioned that 10% uh, early withdrawal penalty for people younger than 59 and a half, mm-hmm. that's going to get slapped on top of it too. So if you're a person in the, let's say 24% federal tax bracket, you're now paying 34% just in federal taxes to get access to that money. So that's why I'm saying like, it's, it, I'm noticing those two trends and I just want to make sure people know like the damage that it can do. Yeah. So, so are you saying that you think that 401k plan loans and distributions or on the rise in 2020, or we're on the rise? I do, I do, I, and I, that's not even an I think, right? That's not an opinion. That one's been documented multiple, mm. multiple times already by you know Barron, CNBC, Market Watch, all those guys that I read on a regular basis. And like I said, there was already growing concern that you know we as Americans just don't save enough as it is. But then there's several initiatives in the works to help educate employees and encourage them to take this seriously. So. Pre-COVID, we're telling everybody, you know, get serious about your 401k, get serious about saving, get serious about keeping the money that's there and making a budget and sticking to it and all these different things. And there's even trade groups that were lobbying to make 401k plan loans harder to get and more punitive Mm. in structure to keep people from accessing those funds because they could see the writing on the wall. You know, people are getting to 65, 67, whatever, and don't have enough saved. Then COVID happened. The floodwaters came, you know, if you will, and then Congress just blew the dam. Malcolm, you spoke about the CARES Act just a few minutes ago. Uh, don't you think the CARES Act was necessary? Because, I mean, people people were struggling, right? I mean, they, they needed that money. Sure. That's a reasonable, <laughs> logical question, right? But in many cases, no. Um, if you look at the PPP loan that came as part of the stimulus relief, we saw how that was botched and you, know, you had tons of people who didn't actually need the money mm-hmm. or getting the money and the small businesses that actually needed the money to stay afloat didn't get it and have, you know, a lot of them have already shut their doors, um, you know, being a year plus removed from what was that March 2020, let's call it when mm-hmm. things got real. So, yes, I think, you know, relief was needed. But in this particular instance, the amount Congress decided to allow you to draw from your 401k with an extended payback period under the uh, CARES Act we're talking about, it was $100,000. And it's been documented that, A, many people who you know have really been wiped out by this thing didn't have very much in the way of 401k assets anyway, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's a reasonable thing that we don't have to question that much when we see it written, right, in stories. And then B, the people who had hundreds of thousands of dollars built up in their accounts, uh, in their 401k accounts, also have access to other means to make ends meet. So they likely have other savings and such that they could tap into 
uh, and not have to use the 401k, but it's like the option was given to me. So why wouldn't I take it? Mm -hmm. So if they're not using those plans, right, if they're not using those loans and distributions to make the ends meet and cover their monthly expenses, what do you think they're using the money for? Mm, that's a, that's a good question. It's, it's, you know, tough to get inside people's heads and know for sure, because, you know, a lot of survey respondents, I think will, will tell you one thing, even though it's not necessarily the, the absolute truth in the case, but from what I've been reading, the most commonly reported use of the 401k loans and, uh, distributions is to consolidate or pay off debt. And the most common type of debt is general consumption or general use. Uh, so meaning retirement savings technically meant to be spent to cover living expenses in the latter years of somebody's life are instead being spent on consuming goods and services today. Mm. So, you know, we are reading about the boom in used car sales because so many people are moving away from public transportation and uh, needing to drive themselves so they can limit the exposure, you know, to other people. Or we're reading about uh, how Airbnb is is uh, blowing up right now and VRBO and other people that compete with them are blowing up right now. And so it accelerated the number of people who were buying second and third and fourth and fifth houses to turn them into Airbnb rentals. Uh, those are the, the things also that I think are being done with these uh, plan loans that this, that that last part is my speculation, right? Mm -hmm. The part about consuming and general use and paying off credit card debt, that's again, been documented and I've read this in credible, you know, outlets. But my estimation too, is there's cars being bought, there's uh, homes being bought and things like that, that are tacked in there too. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, first of all, what you're saying is that the people are robbing Peter to pay Paul kind of thing, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're using that money for their living expenses now, uh, and they're going to be suffering later because of it. So that's number one. But number two, I don't see a problem with people buying extra homes if they're able to do the Airbnb thing. That's kind of them being in business, right? Uh, but it sounds like you're also thinking that people are, you know, you, you mentioned cars, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you think a lot of people are using it for frivolous things? Right. So I'll, I'll answer both of those at the same time, because I mm -hmm. think they're two separate statements that maybe I should have made separately. But, you know, since I commingled them, I'll try and unpack it a little bit. You could be right that people starting a quote unquote business by buying the house and having Airbnb as the the thing, you know, to generate income is the way to go. But I'm reminded of what happened in 2004 and 2005 and 2006 and 2007 and oops, 2008, mm -hmm. when people were using home equity lines to buy cars and clothes and all kinds of other consumer goods. But then they also were buying second and third and fourth and fifth houses and turning them into rental properties. And it was all good when you had a tenant and everybody had a tenant. And even if you didn't have a tenant, it didn't matter too much because, you know, you were paying an interest only loan in the first place. And so you could uh, weather the storm, so to speak, for the number of months that it took to get a tenant because, um, you know, borrowing was cheap. Mm -hmm. Right. And since the value of your home just continued to go up, 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 up over that same period of time, you simply took out a bigger line and paid off the first one and bought some more. Right. And rent and repeat and rent and repeat until the music stopped and the world came crashing down. Mm -hmm. That's the part that I'm most concerned about, specifically when we talk about people and buying a second and third and fourth home on the premise that Airbnb will always be there. Right. So Airbnb is a great tool. 
or VRBO or whatever the other ones are that compete with them that I don't even know by name, right? Those are all great tools. However, your plan, your entire plan is built upon that platform existing the exact way that it does today. So they could pivot at any moment and go in a different direction because regulators have gotten in their way or whatever the reason is. Mm -hmm. And now you with everybody else are stuck trying to unload this illiquid asset at the exact same time because of this one modification that's been made. So that's where my, my issue is with that. But then, you know, if we think about it in the similar vein, borrowing against your 401k plan, you're borrowing against whatever the market value of your uh, retirement plan is at the same at, at, at today's values. Right. Mm -hmm. And so as we continue to hear people talking about the market is overheated, the market is due for a correction, what's driving the market right now, since there's a ton of hurt out there on Main Street, what's the disconnect with Wall Street and blah, blah, blah. Right. So if you think about it in the same terms as the housing market, when people were saying, wow, things are uh, looking a little frothy, things are looking a little unsustainable. Like, how are we lending money against these assets that are inflated a little bit too high? It's kind of similar, right? The difference is obviously, you know, you're not borrowing from a bank to do it, um, right? Lenders aren't allowed to be that frivolous anymore. The housing market got a slap on the wrist and then mm -hmm. they had to pay some small fines and went through a few years of public shaming and congressional hearings and whatever. But uh, it, it looks a little bit similar is the concern that I have. And I know I'm going off on a tangent. And I'm getting a little bit away from, you know, what we were initially talking about. But these are all the things that make me concerned when I see yeah. so much of uh, people deciding to, you know, I'm going to pay off my Amex bill with this 401k loan because it's cheap money or because they're offering it to me. Why wouldn't I take it? Right. Our economy is built on consumption. So the whole reason Congress wanted to get those stimulus checks out there in the hands of people last year and this year was so that we could get we could go and consume right to keep the engine going. The, the moment we all start to save instead, the beast dies. So, you know, in my opinion, they found just another way to help people get access to capital and go consume like their lives depended on it. And, you know, it's their patriotic duty to do so. But I'll just I'll back away from it for, you know, and and. Let us get back to to talking about the the blog post itself and that sort yeah. of thing. Well, I mean, I've I've got to play devil's advocate here because, sure, uh, as you're saying, uh, you know, the Amex bill is high. The damage is already done. Mm -hmm. You know, Amex bill is in the five digits. Isn't it still better to use a 401k loan? You're paying a much lower interest rate. Plus, you're paying that interest rate to yourself, right? I mean, you're you're paying yourself back with interest. It's not like you're paying mm -hmm. anybody else. Isn't it better to do that and get rid of the debt? Mm, you'd think that, right? It sounds like a good idea on its surface, but the funds in your retirement account really do their best work when they're allowed to just grow and compound and uh, grow on top of themselves, right? Grow and compound and grow and compound and grow and compound. And all of a sudden, one day you look up and it's retirement time and you go, oh, good for me for thinking so far into the future, right? So, well, another thing to also note is that some plans also are structured to not allow you to contribute any new dollars into the plan if you have an outstanding loan balance. So just oh, think about that for wow. a second. Where I'm talking about grow and compound and grow and compound. So if you've taken out a loan and stretched it over a five year payback period because you wanted the smallest uh, monthly, you know, part coming out of your check to go toward it. Uh, and I think five years is the longest anybody allows you to do it unless it's tied to buying a home. Uh, that whole five years that you won't get to participate 
that's five years of compounding that you're going to miss out on. That's mm-hmm. huge. Right. Yeah. So just that alone, I think, is is enough of a reason to say, like, let's let's think of something else. Right. I'd recommend using a credit card that has a zero percent promotional rate to consolidate debt on and then set a plan to pay it off over the promotional period. Right. So if it's 12 months or 18 months or whatever it is, and if the payment, uh, you know, figure out what the payment is that you need to make on a monthly basis over that promotional period to pay zero interest um, in the time you're doing it. And then if that amount is too high, then keep your credit score high enough and you can find another promotional balance, zero percent interest card to roll that, you know, remaining amount to once you get to the end of uh, your first promotional period and just keep rolling it and, and mm-hmm. taking advantage of those, those low promotional rates um, until it's all gone. But, you know, one thing I know about debt consolidation is that once the credit cards are paid off and there's a spike in your credit score, you feel empowered now and you want to go and apply for a newer, better card, like the dude in the, the nerd wallet commercial that's like jealous of his buddy's card that he throws in the middle of the table. Like you want to level up, you know, and then you end up digging yourself back into that hole again because sometimes a clean slate just begets more debt, right? So just to be clear, once again, I don't, I don't think people are not smart or, you know, even stupid here, right? Especially not this audience. I think people who manage to save hundreds of thousands of dollars into their 401k accounts have to have some kind of sense, you know, and likely have above average intelligence, right? I want to make sure I get this thing turned back. So people, again, don't think that I'm preaching here solely because I'm, I'm wanting to chastise anybody, right? I just know that these decisions are often uh, just misguided, right? Yeah. Somebody who knew almost as little as you do about personal finance suggested to you, I know, why don't you just take it out of your 401k? Mm-hmm. And you said, huh, that's an idea. But had you had a financial advisor who cared about your money just as much as he or she cares about their own, they would have likely walked you away from that cliff and guided you toward a better situation. So that's all I'm saying in this. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I want you to know that I'm hearing you (laughs) because uh, one of the things I was thinking about while you were talking there, you know, you said you're, you're missing out on the compounding and everything is I'm going back to March, right? I'm thinking about March and April and when people were kind of in that panic, the market is way down, you know, mm-hmm. what it lost, however much in, you know, late February, early March, 30%. Imagine if they had taken a 401k loan out at that moment to help them get mm. by or whatever, they missed the entire upswing of the market. Not, not just the compounding, they missed the, the rise that, you know, the market coming back up. So I, I get that. I understand that. Um, that makes it that's perfect a really sense to me now. Yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense. I mean, that's I just couldn't stop thinking about that when you were saying that I was like, crap, that's right. And uh, to put numbers to it. So in, in 2020, this is off the top of my head. So, mm-hmm. you know, forgive me if I'm off by a decimal somewhere, but in 2020, <laughs> so March of 2020, I think at the depths of March, we had fallen something like 32 ish percent. Mm-hmm. So where you're talking about that people had the knee jerk reaction and, and took the loan to, to create cash. But then by the time 2020 finished, the S&P 500 index was something like 20 ish percent, maybe just above 20 percent. So that's like a 50 50 plus percent swing that happened that you maybe missed out on or executed the loan at the depths of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's huge as far as. And then imagine if you are in one of those plans that's a little bit punitive for taking the loan in the first place and doesn't allow you to put new money in until the old loan is paid off. My God. Yeah. So 
Thank you for pointing that out. I hadn't even gone there yet, but that just made me even more adamant. That, well, see, <laughs> that, but, yeah, I mean, but that's the that's the beauty of what you're you're talking about. Or every time you start a podcast, you get my wheels spinning. You know, and yeah. that's that's you know that's that's where I go with these things, and and it makes me think. But now I do have one last question for you because we're running okay. out of time. Can I can I just say blanket statement that you're against four hundred one k plans, or is there any scenario? Any scenario in the depth of your brain there, Malcolm, <laughs> where you would say, meh, it might be okay to do this. There's probably a small handful. That's, that's that's actually a fair question. That's that's not crazy. The short answer is no, right? So I said there's a small handful of them. I'm not a hundred percent against uh plan loans. But I think anytime you can make a plan and be disciplined in paying back, you know, the amount that you borrowed. So making those contributions and investing those dollars and uh, also paying back the plan loan at the same time, that requires some some real discipline. But mm-hmm. if you are a person who can be that disciplined and is serious about it, then it's worth considering as an option. Um, but that's also assuming you're going to go do something constructive with it, right? Like if you're going to buy a house, right, in this super competitive housing market that we're in, and you need just a little bit of extra cash to make your bid stand out, I get it. And it's probably not going to kill you. And it's also a pretty good use of funds because I'm talking about you retiring at, let's just say 65 for the the sake of argument, Mm -hmm. right? And you're 40 at the time you decide to do this. That means you've got 25 years to enjoy your investment that you're living in this house, this roof over your head. You're enjoying that for 25 years sooner than what you would have if you waited till retirement to actually tap into that money to use it. That is a constructive use of those funds to me, right? Mm. Or, you know, if you got an idea for a business and you need some seed money, right? You're an unproven, unseen entity the moment you decide I'm going to go start that new business. So there's almost no bank out there that's going to lend to you, right? I get it, right? It might not kill you depending on what happens to the business over time. But mm-hmm. I'm thinking about, um, ah, geez, what's her name? Sarah Blakely, who founded Spanx, right? She funded her crazy idea for women's shapewear from her 401k and that company is worth billions now. So, you know, maybe that works out too. Um, (laughs) so, you know, but those probably are the two, at least that come to my mind first that I think make a good bit of sense. And, and as long as, like I said, you're diligent about getting those funds back in there at some point, then I, I, I can't knock you. Um, but I, I, I mentioned, you know, the, the Airbnb thing, even Airbnb aside, I see people, these are clients or prospective clients or just friends of mine, sometimes wanting to take funds out to buy rental properties, right? Mm-hmm. Especially right now, again, while the housing market is so hot and, you know, it's not that tough to find a tenant, presumably, I'm air quotes here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I get that one too, but I'm not as jazzed about that as the first two that I gave you. Uh, just because, you know, it doesn't, the math doesn't really add up when you consider the taxes you have to pay to get access to the money in the first place to buy the property, you'll likely make more time. You'll, you'll likely make more money over the, uh, over a longer period of time by leaving those dollars in the market to do their thing compared to what that rental would return you over that same time period. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. after accounting for the cost of renovating the property to put it into service as a rental, right. The cost to clean it up and make it nice between tenants, recovering your rents not paid and all those court fees, damages to the property, business licenses and fees, you know, depending on where you live. Some people require you to have a business license to to be a landlord. 
the list goes on. Those are just the ones I know off the top of my head from having been a landlord uh, in the past, a disgruntled landlord in the past, I should add. Mm. Um, like those are all the things that go into the cost of buying that rental and having it and being a landlord that I don't think people necessarily consider when they get the idea that, oh, I'm just going to use my 401k money, go buy a rental property, and that's going to be my bigger retirement nest egg. That that usually is a losing proposition when you compare, yeah. you know, the nine, 10 percent return on the S&P 500 over a rolling 10 year period versus the, you know, two or three percent, maybe average annual return that you might be able to squeak out if you live in a good enough area and you're good about controlling costs. So yeah. that one I, I I don't like as much. And I hear people say, you know, this is a great idea that X person told me so. Yes, there's some scenarios where it, it, it does make some sense, but not many. Short yeah. story long. Well, Malcolm, I'm hoping that, you know, if people started listening to this podcast through gritted teeth, that they made it all the way through, <laughs> right, to hear to hear your thoughts and, and where your heart is at, because I think that that's the, the thing that I like about you most is that I, I know that these topics, these subjects, these guests that you bring on come from a place of really trying to educate people. And so I yeah. appreciate that about you, man. I know that people often think that the job of an advisor is to tell people no, right? That's that's usually what people think a financial job, a financial advisor's job is. My friends joke about it all the time. But the thing to keep in mind is that like the job of an advisor is really to help you figure out how to do the things that you want to do reasonably, right? So, you know, if you want to take a big vacation or invest in your nephew's crazy business idea or become your own boss, I think that's fine. I think that's beautiful. And, and, you know, it's a good idea as long as you understand the trade-offs that you mm -hmm. have to make in order to do it. Right. Yeah. So maybe it's a year of not going on vacation to take that big vacation. Right. Or maybe it's setting aside your bonus next year as the amount that you're going to invest in your nephew startup and saying to yourself, like, that's the limit, whatever comes of it will be. And if it goes to zero, that's fine too. Cause it was only one year's bonus, right? Yeah. Not your entire life savings or, you know, helping you save, uh, over the course of a couple years to help fund your exit from corporate America and, and into launching your own thing rather than depleting your entire 401k, you know, to do it, to get the capital, to do it, like helping people understand how to mitigate the risks, mm -hmm. I think is really what the job is. And that's what I'm focused on here. It's not me preaching at people and just being doctor. No. So anyway, yeah. I'm off my soapbox. I promise. All right. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you being on the soapbox. And now that you're off, I want to thank you for your time today. This is this is fantastic, man. I am glad you think so. We'll see, you know, once we hit publish and the world gets uh, gets a hold of it. But we'll, uh, <laughs> at least you and I will be satisfied with with the way it went. Uh, absolutely. And of course, the last thank you goes to you listening audience. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Tech Money Podcast with Malcolm Etheridge. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Malcolm comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. You can also connect with Malcolm on various social media. Malcolm, which which one's the best one to connect with you on? Uh, at Malcolm on Money on all social medias, uh, but Twitter is the one I'm probably the most active on. Right on. Right, that's great. And we would appreciate it if you share these podcasts with your colleagues. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Tech Money, our hope is that this show helped make you a little smarter about your money. This has been the Tech Money Podcast. For more information on today's topic, 
to review the show notes or to catch up on past episodes, be sure to check out malcolmetheridge.com slash podcast. And if you have an idea for a show topic that you'd like us to cover or you want to send us feedback, the web address again is malcolmetheridge.com. You can also find Malcolm across all social media platforms at Malcolm on Money. This episode was written and created by Malcolm Etheridge with the production, the editing and sound controls powered by top advisor marketing, Crowdmouth. This has been a Malcolm on Money original. Thank you for listening. The information shared in this recording and by its guests represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not represent the views or opinions of the host. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This content is not, nor is it intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. It is always recommended that you seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your personal financial situation. This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. Our team of certified public accountants and enrolled agents is well-versed in the latest tax laws, ensuring that you capitalize on every opportunity for strategic tax optimization. We anticipate changes and keep you up to date on opportunities to potentially reduce your tax bill in the future. With a focus on precision and strategic planning, we are your trusted partner both during tax season and throughout the year. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com. Um...